You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at CrossvilleRevolution.com. We are in the fifth week of our series where we're going verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. If you're new to Rev Church, what we like to do uh, 90, 95% of the time is go verse by verse uh, through entire books of the Bible or large passages of Scripture. Uh, next year, we're going to start the year with the Upper Room Discourse. And so it's not a book of the Bible, but it's a large passage of Scripture. It's really the best way we think that you can study Scripture, especially together corporately, because you get the entire context of the Scripture. And today is going to be no different, as we are going to be in chapter 3, and we're going to kick off chapter 3 and look at verses 1 through 13. And there's going to be a lot of tie-in from Ephesians chapter 3 to the previous two chapters of Ephesians. We're going to get straight into it today. We're going to start in verse 1. Is everybody with me? Say, I am. Now, I'm going to read uh, verse 1, and then we're going to stop, and I'm going to explain to you where we're going uh, with the next 12 verses, because verse 1 is an introduction uh, to a prayer that Paul is praying, the second prayer that he actually prays in the book of Ephesians, but then he sort of gets off on this rabbit trail uh, and has like this ADD thought in verses 2 through 13, And next week, we'll come back to the substance of the prayer that he kicked off in verse 1 when we start in verse 14. Does that make sense to everybody? Say amen. Okay, good deal. Let's start in verse 1. Paul says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. Stop right there. There's the beginning of Paul's prayer, but now it gets interrupted uh, with verses 2 through 13 with sort of this random thought where Paul starts to talk about mysteries. Everybody say mysteries. Mysteries. Look at your neighbor and say, I love a good mystery. I love a good mystery, man. When it comes to mysteries in our culture, the number one podcast, if you go to any podcast platform and you look at it, uh, the number one podcasts are overwhelmingly podcasts about mysteries. Murders that took place years ago that were unsolved. Conspiracy theories that are mysteries. On Netflix, on any streaming platform, the number one shows typically have to do with some type of mystery. On TV, in movies, it always has to do with a mystery. Why? Because for all of us, mysteries fascinate us. We want to know what happened or what will happen. Well, you need to understand this right out of the gate as we get into this passage. The word mystery in our culture the context of it typically means something dark, something obscure, something secretive, or something puzzling. What is mysterious in our culture is typically inexplicable or incomprehensible. Somebody's beeping. Somebody needs to take their pills. Is it just me that hears that? I don't know. I must be crazy. Somebody's beeping, though, okay? So I hear something going beep, beep, and I'm ADD, and that's going to drive me crazy, okay, y'all? So in our culture... It's secretive. It's unexplainable. It's something mysterious, you know? Well, when we see the Greek word for mystery that's used in this passage, again, in week one, we explained the Greek word. It's mysterion. Remember, we said it like Mario in week one because it sounded sort of like Italian. And so we said mysterion. Y'all remember that? Everybody say that with me. Mysterion. Let's say it like Mario. One, two, three. Mysterion. Y'all know what I'm saying? Mysterion is the Greek word that's used here. Now, in the Greek, mysterion 
still means that something is a secret, but I'm going to try to explain this. It's not secretive. It's no longer a closely guarded secret, but open. One commentator says about the word mysterion, the Christian mysteries are truth which, although beyond human discovery, have been revealed by God and so now belong openly to the whole church. So we're going to explain these mysteries today. There's four of them that I'm going to unpack, but understand they're open for all of y'all to know. They're open for all of us to grab a hold of and comprehend. Now, let's start in verse 2. Y'all still with me? Say, I am. Paul continues and said, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of of Christ, there's our first point, which was made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, with the Jews, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. The first mystery that we see Paul talk about is what's known as the mystery of Christ. Now, this is not some kind of voodoo-like thing, like some churches and some preachers will make you think that, you know, I'm a preacher and I understand the mystery, but you could never understand the mystery, so you better listen to everything I say. No, this is an easy point to make. Paul is talking about the fact that in the Old Testament, it spoke of a coming Messiah. But the Old Testament prophecies had been misinterpreted in a sense, and really speculated on for generations by the Jewish people. And the idea in the Old Testament that was typically interpreted was the Messiah would be for the Jews only. Their idea was the Messiah would come, would raise up an army, would rage a righteous war, would drive out the Roman oppressors and everyone else, and then restore temple worship. And the Jews saw themselves really as rulers over the Gentiles. Well, instead, what happens is Jesus comes, the Messiah comes, and he comes to build a new kingdom. Not man's, but God's kingdom. Paul comes and preaches this and preaches unconditional acceptance of not just the Jews through Jesus, but the Gentiles as well through Jesus. Now, to these Jewish Christians or Jews in general, this absolutely shocked them. This is not what they've been taught their whole life. This was offensive to them. They were completely appalled at this because this is not how we interpreted the Old Testament Scriptures. Chuck Swindoll says in his commentary on these first few verses, Paul preached that through Christ, the Gentiles wouldn't simply admire the Lord and His people from a distance. They would be His people too. In fact, only in that one body made up of Jews and Gentiles could the nationalistic Jews find their own salvation. The reason Paul is talking about the mystery of Christ is it really ties to what we talked about last week, the acceptance of the Gentiles. 
there were some Christian Jews that were trying to keep the Gentiles out of the church and not get them in. In effect, what was happening is some Jewish Christians were functioning as segregationists, so to speak, not evangelists. The big idea here is that Jesus, when He came and He was the Messiah, this is the mystery of Christ, it's all about inclusivity. Inclusivity. Everybody say that word with me. Inclusivity. Inclusivity. I'll give you an example. At Revolution Church, I talk about Revolution Church, and it doesn't just happen in our church, but I just know Revolution Church the best, okay, y'all? Um, at our church, we have a plethora of all different types of people, y'all. It's not just one type of person. In fact, over the last several weeks, we've had all different types of people, ages, backgrounds, everything get saved. Uh, two weeks ago, our children's minister, Jackie, who is absolutely crushing it in the new facility with kids. Amen, y'all. She's got six flags over Jesus with those kids. Come on, y'all. It's awesome. She led a seven- or eight-year-old little boy to the Lord, and he got saved, and he's getting baptized. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? I don't know if you noticed last month on our baptism Sunday, we baptized like seven or eight people, and half of them were RYA age, Rev Young Adult age. They were 18 to 25. 18 to 25-year-olds that accepted Jesus, and we baptized them. Last week, we've talked about this to death, but it's such a huge victory. We're going to talk about it again. My boy George, who's been coming, he's sitting on that level right there. Last week, before the first service, George, who's, who's he's a young man, uh, how old is George Jeff? 88 years old, okay? He put his trust in Christ last week. Awesome! It is never too late, y'all. If you're sitting in here right now and you think it's too late for you, God's done with you, He could never love you, He could never use you, you better get over that real quick. This is the idea, though. Typically, when you look at the landscape of churches, and it was no different in Jesus' time, this is what was happening is everybody looks the same, they're around the same age, and there's no inclusivity for all generations, all different backgrounds, all different races, if that makes sense. Well, it's not supposed to look like that. This is the mystery of Christ. Jesus is all about inclusion, not exclusion. There's an old Christian song. I think it's kind of goofy, but, you know, it really applies here. If you remember the lyrics, he's got a big, big house with lots and lots of rooms. Anybody know that song? That's the idea here. It ain't just about a certain type of person. It's about Jesus wanting to reach all different types of people. Let's continue in verse 7. Y'all still with me? Say, I am. He continues and he says, I, now Paul's talking about himself. So now we go into talking about the mystery of Paul's calling. Listen to what he says about his calling. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. The mystery of Paul's calling. Now this may seem like it doesn't apply to us, but by the time we get to the end of this point, it absolutely applies to us. There's two questions that arise when we talk about the mystery of God's calling for Paul. Number one, why did God call Paul? And number two, what did God call Paul to do? The why behind why God called Paul is simply this. 
Paul looked at himself as worthless. He saw himself as a humble servant. Paul says, I'm a servant of this gospel. Some translations say, I'm a minister of the gospel. And just a reminder, the word minister is a nursing term in the New Testament that applies to every single believer. You're not all called to be pastors, but you are all called to be ministers. More on that in a second. Then he says, I'm the least of all the Lord's people. Some translations say, I'm the least of the saints. This is why God called Paul. Because he said things like this. He said, when you look at everyone that's saved, I'm the worst of every single one of them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 9-10, through 10, he says something very similar, but he uses a different word when he says, for I'm the least of the apostles, and then he clarifies what he means when he says, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He's recognizing his sin. In verse 10 he says, but by the grace of God... I am what I am. I'm Popeye the sailor man. I don't know why I'm thinking that. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace to me was not without effect. 1 Timothy chapter 15, he even goes harder in the paint on who he thinks he is. When he says, here's a trustworthy saying, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Another translation, Paul says, I am the chief of all the sinners. The reason God called Paul was because of his humility. Not because he was great, not because he was outstanding, not because he was, had charisma or something like that. It's because Paul understood that by the grace of God he was saved, and by the grace of God he was called in to ministry. What did God call Paul to do? Well, number one, Paul lays it out. He called him to preach to the Gentiles. This was weird. Because if you know anything about Paul's background, Paul was a pure-blooded Hebrew. He was a Jewish person. He was a Pharisee. He was high up in the religious ranks. He'd been educated by some of the greatest seminary professors, so to speak. And now God calls this religious Jewish person to go preach to the pagan Gentiles. You've got to understand how weird this was. In Hebrew culture, the Hebrews, we hit on this a little last week, hated the Gentiles. They hated them. In fact, there were several sayings in the culture at the time that the Hebrews would say about the Gentiles, such as, Gentiles kindle the fires of hell. There was another saying that uh, we should crush snakes but kill Gentiles. It was actually illegal for an Hebrew person, or even not necessarily illegal, but very looked down on, for someone to help a Gentile woman give birth. Because it was considered if you helped a Gentile give birth, you were just bringing, as they would put it, another heathen into the world. So now here this Jewish man is called to go preach to the people that his people absolutely despised. The mystery of Paul's calling teaches us that God can use anyone he chooses, anywhere he chooses. Here's what Paul was. As far as preaching to the Gentiles, this was a square peg trying to fit into a round hole by everyone's sight. Paul's preaching to the Gentiles? That's not the best strategy. Paul's preaching to the Gentiles? Why in the world would we send him to do that? 
Paul preaching to the Gentiles was the equivalent, maybe you've heard the saying before, of dressing up a pig and entering it into a beauty contest. Does that make sense to everybody? It's still a pig. It's still ugly. Just because you throw some lipstick on it and a dress on it doesn't mean it's going to look any better. This is the idea behind Paul preaching to the Gentiles. Listen to me, Rev Church. Do not limit God because of what you or others think your limitations are. Never do that. Never do that. I can totally relate to Paul. And not that I want to talk about myself, but I just know myself best again. So I'll just give you this example of Revolution Church, right? I know Revolution Church the best. I can relate to Paul because I have no pedigree. Your pastor didn't come from some big-name preacher. My dad wasn't a big-name preacher. There was one pastor in my family, and it was my grandfather, and he never pastored a church of more than 50 to 100 people. There's no reason in any way, shape, or form by human eyes that I should be standing on this platform at Revolution Church preaching to you guys today. But God chose me to do that. You go through, you go through our staff, y'all. Y'all know that we've got, I think, I think we have, I may be wrong on this, but I think we have 22 staff here at Revolution Church. And I'm pretty sure only three of them, including myself, have previous experience working in a church. Y'all know that? Some of the greatest leaders at Revolution Church don't even have experience. Jeff, who's the Rev Men's Director, they had a record attendance yesterday. They had 90 guys at Rev Men yesterday. 87, but I stole three of them to go to the game. So 90 guys. Can you believe that? Jeff's been with us for about seven years. You know what he did before he came to Rev Church and I hired him? He didn't work at some mega church. He didn't preach in all these places. He wasn't an evangelist. He worked at UPS for 30 years, y'all. Perfect training ground for what he's doing today. I'm telling you, if you've ever worked there, you know what I'm talking about. Pastor Brandon, our next-gen pastor, absolutely crushing it in Rev Students. Amen, Rev Church? Come on. Y'all need to give him a hand. He's killing it. This young man, he's been with us about six years now. Is that right? Six years? You know what he did before he came to us? He worked for Billy Graham. No, he didn't. He was an in-school suspension teacher. He went from trying to scare kids to make them good to now he tries to entertain kids and get them to hear the gospel and throws ping pong balls all over the church and, and, and what else? Uh, tortillas everywhere. Look how God's used him, y'all. You know? Our worship leader, Brooke, you know what she did for eight years before she was called to ministry to lead us in worship? She was a first grade teacher. First grade teacher. So if she ever treats you like a first grader, just know. I'm married to her, so I know how it is. I'm like, sometimes I have to look at her and go, I'm not in first grade, Miss Cardwell. You know what I mean? You can talk to me like an adult. Annette, our Rev Women's Director, worked for a sheriff's office. Now she's leading a ministry of almost 100 women every other Saturday. Can you believe that? That's crazy. Jackie, who is our Rev Kids Director, I just mentioned her a few minutes ago. She was a teacher's assistant and a bus driver before she came to work for us. Now they got 100 to 150 kids every single week in Rev Kids. My point is simply this. These are tangible examples 
that you may think you're not called to it. You may think you're not qualified to do it. You may think there's no way God could use me to do this. You may be intimidated by it. But if God's called you, you can absolutely do it. We see it over and over in Scripture. Amen, Rev Church. The second thing that God called Paul to do was bring the mystery of the church to light. And that's actually the next few verses exactly what it deals with is the mystery of the church. Look at verse 10. Y'all still with me? Say, I am. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal promise that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Third point is the mystery of the church. The mystery of the church. This place that's supposed to be a city on a hill, a light in a darkness, an example to the entire world. Paul uses a phrase here. He says, through the church, we are going to make known, and here's the main function of the church, what he calls the manifold wisdom of God. We're going to make the manifold wisdom of God known throughout the entire world. Now, the word manifold here, it sounds like a car part or something to me. I don't know. It doesn't sound like something in the Bible. Like I hear the word manifold when I hear people talk about cars that I know nothing about. But the word manifold here means, listen to this, many and varied, having many features and forms, wrought in various colors, diversified, intricate, complex, and many-sided. Boy, is he preaching to the Jewish Christians, the Gentile. Hey, the church is going to be all kinds of different people. One theologian says this about the words manifold. God's wisdom and his extraordinary plan of salvation as seen in the new and mysterious creation of the church is a multifaceted, many-colored, culturally diverse, rich, and beautiful community of believers. There is no other human co-op like it in the world. The wisdom of God. The manifold wisdom of God. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, I'm still confused. What's the manifold wisdom of God? I'm so glad you asked that. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it tells us exactly what the manifold wisdom of God is when it says in verse 24, Jesus is the manifold wisdom of God. So what's the mystery of the church? What is it we're called to do? We're called to make the manifold wisdom of God known throughout the world. We're called, in other words, to make Jesus known throughout the world. Not just to people, but it's kind of confusing here. It gets a little weird, right? Not just to people, but also to, as Paul puts it, rulers and authorities in heavenly realms. He's speaking here to angels, to demons, to Satan himself. And what he's talking about is what's talked about further in the New Testament when, in particular, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, it tells us that the angels long to understand the mystery of Christ. In other words, it wasn't just human beings that didn't understand the mystery in the Old Testament. The angels didn't even totally understand what God's plan was. Satan and his demons in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 8, it tells us that they would not have crucified the Lord of glory if they had known what the mystery was. They regret it to this day because as a result of Jesus being crucified, he defeated death, hell, and the grave. Amen, Rev. Church. So they didn't understand the mystery either. So this is what we're supposed to be, make known, not just to people, but to everyone. The church is to make the gospel known and to show unity to 
the world. I need to go off for a minute, Rep Church, and y'all just need to allow me to. Because I think that the church today, in a lot of ways, and I'm guilty of this, just like all of us are, gets a bad rap. What Paul is talking about here is really an idea that's explored all throughout the New Testament. And that's the idea that the church absolutely is going to be mysterious to lost people and people in the world. The New Testament uses terms like Christians, or the church in other words, we're peculiar. In other words, we're weird, we're unusual, or as he uses the word here, we're mysterious. And I'm going to tell you this, church, and and I really hope you listen during this point, because some of you guys are lukewarm Christians. Some of you guys are people that are checking the church out because we bought a theater, and hopefully you're not going to disappear in a month or two like you have at other churches. And you need to listen right now because this may help you not do that. The more the world embraces evil, the more mysterious the church looks to a lost and broken world. Does that make sense to everybody say amen? And so we're in a day right now that is really unprecedented as it comes to the culture we live in and how lost it is and how broken it is and how things are accepted that are completely unbiblical. And then you look at the church and we're weird. Because we, we, it's, it's almost like we're standing against almost every single thing that is accepted today. That's how I feel sometimes. And to a lost and broken world, that's crazy. Y'all know what I'm saying? In the church, we have, uh, let me just, I mean, I don't want to offend anybody, but this is the church. We have men's and women's small groups. And who are they for? Well, the men that are born men go to the men's small group. I'm not trying to be funny. Okay? The women that are born women go to the women's small group. The men that are born men go to the men's bathroom. The women that... I'm not trying to hate on anybody. I'm just telling you, to a world that's crazy, that's, that's embracing evil, this is mysterious. They're weird. They're weird. They love the month of June because it's summer and they get to go to the beach, not because what we've made it about. Does this make sense to everybody? Am I going too hard in the paint? The church is mysterious. We're we're weird. We, We believe what the Bible says and the more the culture gets away from what the Bible says, the weirder we are. We have a biblical definition of marriage. We raise our kids in the Lord, not to be Instagram models or to be popular in the public schools. So the more, let me say it this way. I like professional wrestling. Does anybody in here like WWE and professional wrestling? <laughs> Closet fans, one person said yes. Anybody watch it growing up? Raise your hand, Hulk Hogan, all that stuff. Y'all are still fans. 
You're rednecks. And if you're a highly political person, don't you come judging me because I watch WWE because it's even worse in politics right now. Amen, y'all? I like WWE and my daughter likes it. It's kind of our thing that we watch together. And Every time WWE comes to Knoxville, we go to their shows when they're at Thompson Bowling Arena. And we've tried for 10 years to get my wife to go to a WWE show with us. But she's like, no way. I'm never going to a WWE show. There's no way I will fit in there. I would feel so weird being at a WWE show. Well, that's how we feel in the world. I feel weird here. I don't fit in here. Does that make sense to everybody? And that's how worldly people and lost people feel when they come to church. You ever hear this before? I don't fit in. I feel weird when I go to church. But I'm going to say this to you too. Listen to me. It's also how lukewarm Christians feel. The more worldly you are, the weirder you're going to feel when you walk through the doors of a church because we're different. This is what is plaguing the church in America today. And what the church has done as a result is they've made the church more worldly in order to pacify a bunch of lukewarm Christians. The more you look like Jesus, the more comfortable you'll feel when you come to church. Let me go even harder in the paint here, okay, y'all? Because I want to make sure I thoroughly offend you before Thanksgiving. If Revolution Church is the 10th church you've tried in the last five years, and you say stuff, well, I just didn't like it there, I didn't fit in there, I didn't... Maybe you're the problem. Maybe you're a little too worldly. And maybe it's not the church's fault that you don't fit in. Maybe it's because you're chasing the things of the world. See, if you chase the things of the world, of course when you come in here and we preach on generosity, you're going to get your panties all in a wad. I can't believe the preacher's telling me I need to give my money. Of course you are, because you're all about greed. Of course when we talk about sexual purity, you're going to be offended. Because you're participating in things that are sexually sinful. Of course when the church starts to talk about forgiveness, you're going to have thoughts like, well, he just doesn't understand what I've been through because you're worldly. You're all about revenge. Vengeance. Of course, when the church starts to talk about how sinful you are and what a wretch you are and how broken you are, you're going to say things like, I'm never going back there. Because you think that you're a good person. Does this make sense to everybody? Say amen. So the more worldly you are, the more mysterious the church is to you and the more you don't fit in. Men, men, just don't fit in. That's her thing. She's the spiritual one. Shut up. 
I'm just not a most, you know, I went to the UT game yesterday. I had a buddy that gave me some tickets. And number one, I'll tell you, I didn't fit in. Everybody was drunk. Everybody was cussing. Everybody was losing their mind. Nothing wrong with football, but I didn't fit in. I couldn't wait. I would never pick a UT game over being with y'all. Does that make sense? Because when I come here on Sunday mornings, of course you'd say that, Pastor. Man, this is like a family reunion to me. I love seeing y'all. But I saw men getting emotional at the UT game yesterday. I saw men that were committed. I saw men that paid $15 for a can of beer that should cost a dollar. They didn't complain about the price. I'm going to move on. I'm going to get in trouble. Spent too much time on that. The mystery of the church. Y'all get it? Say amen. The point is, the more you start to look like Jesus and become mature in your faith, the less mysterious the church will be to you, if that makes sense. I feel the need to make that point. Finally, in the last verse, verse 13, we see the mystery of suffering. Paul closes this verse, closes this passage down when he says, I ask you, therefore, do not, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. What a weird verse. Don't be discouraged because of my suffering, because they're your glory. Paul's speaking to this idea in Christianity of really the mystery of suffering. You need to know this, that the book of Ephesians was birthed out of suffering that Paul was going through, along with four other epistles or letters that were written to churches or to people. The book of Ephesians, the book of Philippians, the book of Colossians, and the book of Philemon were all written when Paul was under house arrest. He had been arrested for sharing his faith. If you just read through the book of Acts, you'll find Paul went through all kinds of suffering, all kinds of trials, all kinds of difficult things. Paul is falsely accused of causing riots and preaching illegal religion. Acts 21, these are the reasons he's in house arrest right now. He's falsely accused of defiling the temple because he brought Gentiles into it, which wasn't true. Uh, he was almost killed. He was almost arrested. In Acts 22, Paul gives his testimony to the people and tells them how he met Jesus, but then he also gives them a vision of Jesus. And the way the people responded was not by some huge altar call where people got saved. They responded with rage, screaming, we've got to kill this guy. And the Roman guards actually save him by arresting him and putting him in prison. Paul had enemies. There were people that looked at Paul in the book of Acts and said, I'm not going to eat or drink until this guy is dead. Paul outlines in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 some of his sufferings that he's went through when he says, I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And then besides everything else, he's like, there's all this stuff that was bad. Listen to what he describes as the worst thing. I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. 
He's like, man, y'all church people are driving me nuts. That's the worst thing that's stressing me out. Who is weak? I face the deadly pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak? And I do not feel weak. Who is led into sin? And I do not inwardly burn. Paul knew suffering. He, he penned these words in Colossians, another epistle that was written in this prison sentence he was in. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Isn't that weird? I rejoice in my sufferings. You hear the language? My suffering is your glory. Don't be discouraged because of my suffering. Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ. Yes, how does he want to know Christ? To know the power of his resurrection. Amen, y'all. We want to know the power of Christ's resurrection. Amen, y'all. Do you complete it when he also says, and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death? Man, I'll die for Jesus is what Paul's saying. What a glorious way to go. I want to suffer for him like he suffered. The mystery of suffering. The encouragement in suffering is found in verse 12. Through faith, the church approaches God with freedom and confidence. The idea is, no matter what you're going through, Rev Church, God is there for you. When we put our trust in Christ, whatever it is we face, whatever trials we face, whatever suffering we face, God is with us. We are not discouraged because God is with us. What a week to talk about suffering, the week of Thanksgiving. The week where we're supposed to get together, and we're supposed to be thankful for so many different things, but if we're being honest, this is one of the most stressful weeks of the year for many of us. You got family you can't stand coming in. You got meals you don't want to cook that you're having to cook. You're running around like a chicken with your head cut off, trying to make everybody happy, trying to get everything done. And isn't it easy this week to act like a victim instead of a victor? You know what I've learned about victims? Victims always talk about the past. In poverty cultures, people always talk about the past. What was wrong? How they wronged me? This happened to me. I had this disease. I had this. Victors. People that do something with their life, people that, that have joy in their life, look forward to the future that God has. Amen, Rev Church? What if this Thanksgiving week you didn't get caught up in all that? And instead, you thank God for everything He's given you, even your suffering. Even your suffering. Three verses I want to close with today. I want to read them together with you guys. We're going to put them on the screen. Romans chapter 5 is the first one. And I want to read this with you guys. Let's leave this today with this, okay? Romans chapter 5 says this. Let's start. Y'all ready? Say, I am. One, two, three, let's start. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Let's read verse 3 again. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. 
perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Isn't that awesome, Rev Church? Amen. Listen to me. Listen to me. We don't just glory and talk about how we're going to heaven and how God's grace has saved us. When we're going through tough things, we say, man, God must think I'm special to put me through this. Even if it's an attack from the enemy. I'm going to tell y'all something, man. Some of y'all need to get this straight in your minds, okay? I've only got three minutes, okay, y'all? You need to get this straight. Some of y'all have been through some stuff. You've had horrible things happen in your life, and you need to start using that to build your faith. You need to think to yourself, the devil's going to rue the day that he tried to kill me. The devil's going to rue the day that he tried to steal my husband. The devil's going to wish he had never tried to steal my wife. The devil's going to wish that he had never shown me that pornography the first time. Because now, now I'm peeved off. And I'm going to do everything I can the rest of my life to help people that have been through what I've been through. I'm going to do everything I can the rest of my life to use this as fuel for the fire to move forward. Let's read those last two verses, please. Uh, Acts chapter 5, this is what the apostles said after they've been through some persecution, been flogged. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Guess what name that is? It's the name above every name. Hit the last one and then we'll pray. Hit the last one, please, the last scripture. 1 Peter 4, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. Some of y'all act like you're shocked, but you got to know you got a bullseye on you. Let's read this together. Verse 12, 1, 2, 3. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. Some of y'all got it too comfortable. And you got to recognize when you start following Jesus and looking more like Him, all hell's going to break loose. If nothing's wrong, something's wrong. If nothing's wrong, you're not doing something God's telling you to do. If you're not joining in the sufferings of Christ, Something's off, y'all. I'm not saying God won't bless you. I'm not saying you won't have seasons of prosperity. I'm not saying that you're going to be thick all the time. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that the Scripture makes it clear. This is the mystery of suffering for Christians. Make sense, Rep. Church? Say amen. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for today. I pray for everybody. Keep them safe. Let's have a great Thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. We'll see you guys. You're dismissed. If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.